Amen. Well, it is good to be in the house of the Lord. Um, last week, uh, Trudy and I got away a little bit, and uh, Bruce Vanetta was here. How many of y'all were here last week and heard Bruce Vanetta? Didn't he do a great job? I mean, he, um, he's just a, a dear friend. If you're not familiar with Bruce Vanetta, you can go on our church website, and, and the messages uh, from each Sunday are actually on our website, and you can go there and listen to him. He's got just a powerful testimony, a dear friend from... Wisconsin Rapids area who, who endured a, a, a terrible accident where he was literally crushed by a semi and, um, and God healed him and miraculously healed him. He's got all the medical documentation and he travels around the world giving glory to God and God is still actively involved in touching and healing people's lives. Amen? Well, I know that after uh, the, the service later in the day, uh, Bruce and his wife Lori got to go to the Packer game. That was kind of an extra bonus for them to be in the area. And uh, how many of y'all watched the Packer game? A few of you? Wow. Okay. All right. How many of you went to bed at halftime? Let me just. Uh, all right. Ha <laughs> No. Uh, I don't talk a lot about sports, but I know that you know recently the NFL uh, last week began their regular season and. Before the regular season, there was the preseason, and the preseason is when the teams had to reduce their rosters down to 53 players. And so everybody who wanted to be part of the team would give it their all. They would, they would put their, their entire effort into uh, being the best of the best, because those in the NFL are supposedly the best of the best, the cream of the crop. And everybody else, they want to be part of the team, but there is a cut that takes place. And if you don't make the team, you, you, you stick with your day job. So, but making the team means everything. You see, to make the team, your entire future could be transformed if you make it big. You could go on and, 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 and making, making big dollars, living out a childhood dream in front of millions of fans and, and across the TV screens is something that many young boys, they just long for. They would just say, oh, that would be it. To make money, living out my dream. And we could see why some would long for this opportunity to be part of a team and walk away from everything that is, that is familiar, everything that is comfortable to be part of the team. When they're offered a, a big signing bonus and all of these things, they'll pack up, they'll say goodbye to their family, they'll leave their hometowns, it's like there's no, nothing they would not walk away from. They'll go to a strange city. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll wear different colored uh, jerseys from that point on. They'll walk away. They'll rearrange their schedules. You know, many people would be willing to make a drastic change in their life to make a couple million dollars at least over a few years. A lot of you might be thinking, let's see, would I move away to make 500, 600, 700, a million dollars for the next three or four years. A lot of people would do that, and, 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 and the money is what motivates people to make radical changes to their lives. And if it wasn't for the incentive, there probably wouldn't be the, quite the response. Which brings me to something that I've, I've wrestled with over the years. Something that I need to kind of understand and, and wonder about, that I wondered about as I read my Bible, and that is, why did Jesus' disciples just up and leave everything they had to go follow Jesus. I mean, to be part of his team. You ever think about that? In Mark's Gospel in chapter 1, 
It says in verse 16, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and they followed him. And when he'd gone a little bit further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he, meaning Jesus, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. In chapter 2, we read that it says in, in verse 13, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, also known as Matthew, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. So the question is, why on earth would these grown men who have jobs, like, just walk away from everything? They didn't give a two-weeks notice. They didn't go home and talk to their spouses about it. They didn't weigh the pros and the cons. It says that immediately, they were, they were literally on the clock, right? Can you imagine a coworker at you're working, and one of your coworkers says, you know what, i got to go. Where are you going? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm leaving, though. This is what they did. They were, they were on the clock. They were literally in the middle of their, their work week, and, and they walked away from making money. It, it seems like, it's, well, what was the deal here? Jesus said, follow me. And one, two, three, four, five, five for five people responded, and immediately they followed him. Five for five, that's pretty, good. that's pretty good odds, isn't it? That's a pretty good track record. They walked away from everything. They walked away from their families. They walked away from their wives. They even walked away from their fishing boats. Right, guys? I mean, you know, it's like, it's got to be something pretty serious to walk away from your boat, right? If you're, if you're a fisherman, you can appreciate that. So the question is, is there something that we're missing? Is there something that when we read a, a passage of Scripture like this, that we say, what in the world would cause these people to just up and, and, and walk away. I mean, we know today that Jesus is referred to as Savior. That He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. He is our Redeemer. He is the Messiah, the Lamb of God. He is Emmanuel. We understand these attributes of Jesus, friends, but the disciples didn't at that time. They didn't know that this was, that this was God in the flesh. They didn't, they didn't know that. They didn't know that he would die and rise from the dead. They didn't know any of those things at this time. He didn't offer them a, a big salary to follow him. They didn't, he didn't offer them a signing bonus. He didn't say, you know, I'm going to promise you a life of comfort and luxury. None of that. All he said was, follow me. Follow me. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if, if for me, if I was to walk away from my family and my town and my comfort, my surroundings and all of these things, it would need to be something of, of enormous significance to just walk away from everything. And friends, people do that today. They walk away to serve the Lord. We, we're having our mission Sunday in about a month. And we support here at New Life several missionaries who have done just this. They have left the comforts of home. They've gone overseas. They've, they've sold their homes. They walked away from everything. Why? Because the Spirit of God was directing them to fulfill a calling that Jesus is risen from the dead, He's powerful, He's life-changing, He can absolutely change your life. You see, and we, we get that. 
But the disciples didn't know these things about Jesus at the time. They didn't, they didn't understand these things. So what was it about Jesus that compelled these guys to abandon everything on the spot and, and follow him? He didn't tell them where they were going. He didn't say, this is what we're going to do. He didn't say, this is where we're going to be staying. Just follow me. And they all left. And they followed him. So what is the backstory? Anybody want to know the backstory? Anybody? Two? Okay. Well, we'll share it for you too, and, and the rest of you can just observe then and listen. But the reason those words, follow me, had such an impact was because they came out of the mouth of a rabbi. You see, Jesus was a distinguished rabbi. A rabbi was a title given to a very select number of teachers of the Scripture in Israel. Okay, so a rabbi means teacher, but it goes way, way beyond just a, a teacher. Rabbis were held in very high honor in the Jewish culture. They were highly regarded by the Jews as wise teacher. The word rabbi itself, it comes from a combination of, of two Hebrew words that means my great one, my master, the, the honorable one. This is, this is the position that Jesus had. Even Nicodemus, we read in, J in John chapter 3, this man who was a prominent religious leader of his day, he addressed Jesus as rabbi. There's utmost respect for this position. Utmost respect for the rabbis. And you see, the rabbi's reputation was established on their ability to interpret the Scriptures. That, that's, what their, that's what their primary role was. And unlike our culture of today, in the first century Israel, their lives revolved around the Word of God. It wasn't just something that collected dust. This was their life. Everything about the, the Jewish life revolved around understanding the Word of God. They recognized that there is a God and, and that God cares about them and God has given them His Word. And so their lives revolved around the Word of God and, and to know and to understand the Word and to, to teach it and interpret the Word of God as a rabbi, that would be considered like the, the, the epitome of accomplishments. I mean, think about it, friends. If our lives revolved around the Word of God and, and to think that God allows some people to expound on it and to teach it and to interpret it. In this culture, it's like, wow, that would be an honor. That would be a, like a dream. Becoming a rabbi would be every young Jewish boy's dream. Now, just as becoming a professional athlete doesn't happen overnight, obtaining rabbi status was not an easy process. It started young. It started when the children were four years old. Between the ages of four and six, most Jewish children, boys and girls, would learn the book of Leviticus. Leviticus. They would try to memorize it. Anybody here ever read through the book of Leviticus? It's like all the laws of God and the ceremonial washings and this and this and this contingency and this. And it was just like, wow. It's almost like, if some people, when they read the Bible, they say when they get to the Leviticus, their, their mind kind of checks out. And this is where, this is where the four, five, and six-year-olds were encouraged to memorize it. 
And so every young child had at least the law of God on their hearts. Okay, now, for some, that just wasn't their thing to memorize the book of Leviticus. So at age six, for some, that was it. That's all they had. And some of you might say, yep, I would have been in that camp. Like, nope, okay, I got this. It's been ingrained in me for a few years, but this is just way too much. But for others, they excelled at it. And for those who excelled at it and those who showed potential, they would go to a school called Bet Safar. In other words, it's referred to as the school of the book, the school of the Bible. And when they would spend another six years from the age 6 through 12 memorizing the Torah, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. For six years they would study that. They would memorize those first five books of the Bible. It's called the Old Covenant. It's called the, Old Co- uh, the, the Law of Moses. And at age 12, they would take an exam. There was a process where they would, understand, they would, they would bring the students together and they would, they would try to figure out if they're comprehending. Some people could just memorize and memorize and memorize to pass a test. Anybody else besides me do that back in the day? It's like, I just got to memorize this stuff just till I take the test, and then I could care less about it, right? So maybe that wasn't you, but that was me. And not in every subject matter. But it's like, okay, so at age 12, these, these 12-year-olds would be interrogated, and the 12-year-olds would, would have to ask questions about the Torah. It was an indicator that they were getting it, right? Remember what happened with Jesus when he was age 12? Remember? Mom and dad brought him to Jerusalem and and then they left without him. How's that for parenting, right? And they go back and they find him and he's he's in the temple. And it says in Luke chapter 2, in verse 46, so it was after three days. They, They lost their kid for three days. They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Okay, so Jesus is on the tail end of that that six-year period. And the teachers in the temple say, man, he is brilliant. He has got it. This little 12-year-old man, he's going to go places. They were astonished at his teachings. And, and so from that point, they would go to a, a different type of schooling. It was called the, the Bet Talmud. Bet Talmud is a school of the disciples. And this was from age 12 to 30. 18 years of schooling. I mean, some of you have, have friends, or maybe you have been in school for, like it seems like forever, like in college forever, right? 18 years. And during that 18-year period in this, in this school, Beth Talmud, they would, they would, there were several stages of learning. They would memorize the Torah. They had that down. They would study the prophets. They would look at the interpretations of, of, of the Scripture. And, and, and this was, they, they studied it all from Adam to Zechariah. I mean, they knew it. They didn't have the New Testament. The Old Testament is the, is the, pas- the portion of Scripture that is, is from creation to the birth of Jesus. That's the Old Testament. The New Testament is the record of the birth of Jesus and his life. And then the rest of the New Testament is the significance and the impact 
and the application of what Christ has done. But the Old Testament is about two-thirds of, of our Bible, our complete Bible, and this is what they just focused on. Up until age 30. 30. Where does that number ring a bell? How old was Jesus when he entered public ministry? He was 30, right? Okay, so at, at age 30... Jesus comes on the scene. But even before that, it says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52, I think we have a few people in our congregation who have this one memorized. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So Jesus had to learn. We cannot have a cop-out and say, well, he was God. He had an unfair advantage. He humbled himself, but he relied on the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he applied himself to the Word. So if we want to be like Jesus, memorize the Scriptures. Does that sound exciting? Memorize the Word. Get the Word into us. Jesus was getting the Word into him, and Jesus increased in wisdom. They didn't just call anybody a rabbi. It took many years. Just like in our culture today, we have some that have a high school diploma. We have some people that have associate's degrees. And then we have bachelor's degrees. Then we have master's. And then less than 2% of Americans have a doctorate, a doctoral, a, 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 a doctoral degree, a doctorate. Less than 2%. In Israel, the best of the best made it to be a rabbi. But it took mentoring, it, it, it took discipleship. So if you're in your teen years, if you're going through this, this, this school in the Bet Talmud, you would carefully look at the different rabbis. And you would be, you would be gravitated towards specific rabbis. And, and it, was the, it was the goal to be one of their disciples. A disciple is somebody who follows the teacher. But it was more than following like you would follow somebody like on Facebook or Twitter. Okay, this, this following was, was, like, was like everything in your life. It meant physically doing life with your rabbi. It, it would mean everything to be chosen, to, to follow a rabbi, to be a disciple of a teacher meant you would, you would actually become just like your teacher, just like your rabbi. Everything about your life would start to, to look like theirs. You would, you would completely embrace their teachings and their interpretations of Scripture. Whatever you had learned before, you would erase it, and you would say, you know what? Whatever my rabbi is teaching, I'm going to embrace that. And you would, you would mimic, you would, you, would, you would emulate your rabbi. You would talk like your rabbi. You would walk like your rabbi. Everything about your life it would literally conform to the life of your rabbi, your mind and your body. Total devotion and commitment to becoming a spitting image of your rabbi. Because a rabbi was your master. He was everything. You see, this is why Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40, He said, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Remember in the book of Acts in chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested by the religious leaders. And they were saying, we don't want you talking about Jesus. And, and they were just astonished at their boldness. And it says in, in verse 13 of chapter 4, they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled. In other words, the religious leaders are looking at these two guys who are incredibly bold. And the words that were coming out of their mouth, they were just astonished because they were fishermen. 
They weren't students of the Scriptures. But the, verse, or the, the, the next phrase says, and then they realized that they had been with Jesus. It's like, oh, wow, that's right. Jesus is the, was the rabbi. That explains everything. Yeah, they didn't go through the whole schooling, but Jesus was, was the rabbi. Now, just because a student wanted to learn from a rabbi didn't mean the rabbi wanted that person as a student. You see, if a rabbi is going to invest into somebody, he's going to want to know that they have potential. He's going to want to look at them, and, 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 and a student would, would want to study under this rabbi, and they would want to hear those magical words from that rabbi that they seek to follow. They would just long to hear those words, follow me. That means that rabbi that you are seeking out is, is finding acceptance in, in their eyes. And they would say, follow me. A rabbit, a rabbit, a rabbi would consider, well, rabbit's considered too, but we don't want to go down a bunny trail. So a rabbi, a rabbi would look at and consider a student's potential. And, and they would and, and they say, you know, would this person be able to become like me? Would they be able to make the commitment necessary? Would this candidate meet the qualifications and find acceptance in the eyes of the rabbi. You see, a rabbi wouldn't want to pour their life into a person who's going to flunk out or who's going to fail or who's not going to be loyal and consistent. The rabbi would look at somebody and say, you know what, this is somebody that I believe in. You see, it's believed that most students did not make the cut. They were turned away. Just like a football player getting cut from the team roster in the preseason, certainly disappointing to many people who had longed to be, to be able to hear those words from their rabbi that they so admired to follow me. On the other hand, the sharpest students of the Scripture would ask a rabbi if they could be their disciple. And that rabbi would interrogate them and ask him so many questions and find out, does this person really have the potential? Do I want to invest into this person? And you see, friends, they would just, the rabbis would just seek the best of the best of the best. And if they heard those words, follow me, this indicated that the rabbi believed that the follower had the potential to become just like them. And when people saw the disciple, they would automatically connect that disciple with the rabbi. It was a huge affirmation. It was a huge affirmation for uh, 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 the confidence that the teacher had in his student. Essentially, friends, the, the rabbi was sending the message that believed their lives would be emulated by those chosen disciples. The rabbi was saying, I believe you have the potential to, to, to do what I have done and more. Does that sound familiar? That's what Jesus said. Now, there were two types of rabbis. The vast majority focused on and were permitted to, to teach and expound on the Torah, the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses, and, and all the nitty-gritty details of, of sacrifices and procedures and, and being cleansed and different types of foods and ceremonies. And, 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 and how many of you all get excited about procedures and policies? Ick, right? Boring. But this is what, this is what these, it, it, it's complicated and it's difficult, and yet that's what the rabbis taught. They helped the people understand, they interpreted. Let's face it, interpreting the Old Covenant can be challenging, and as with anything that is interpreted, there's, different, there's slightly different viewpoints, there's slightly different perspectives 
of different topics. And, and, and the rabbi's interpretation of Scripture was called his yoke. His yoke. But the interesting thing about a rabbi's interpretation of Scripture was it had to be consistent with established interpretations of previous rabbis. You couldn't deviate from what your rabbi taught you. A rabbi couldn't introduce a new or different interpretation of Scripture unless, unless, they were a rabbi with samika. Say samika. Samika. What does that mean? You all just said it. It means to have authority. It means to have authority. You see, the best of the best of the best rabbis had authority. They had samika. An extremely limited number of rabbis actually had this authority to introduce a different perspective of the Scriptures. Jesus was a rabbi who walked in authority. And friends, it grabbed the attention of everyone around. I mean, think about it. His first recorded sermon, we refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount. So many people came to hear his first sermon that he had to actually go up on the side of a mountain. What was there? Hundreds, thousands of people? Why would thousands of people come to hear a person's first sermon? You ever wonder that? Why, why did he draw such a huge crowd? He was just kicking things off. It's not like he had, he had been around the whole region. He's just kicking things off. Why such a big crowd? Friends, I would suggest word got out that there was a new teaching from a rabbi that expounded on the Scriptures in a way that people could actually understand. Right? And Jesus has this. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew's, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus, remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. And, and folks, the, these people were just mesmerized by what they were hearing. I mean, this was like jaw-dropping, huh? We've never heard this kind of stuff before. It was so radical. It was so outside the box, and yet... It was so refreshing. It was so refreshing. This was something that their hearts were longing to hear. But they were questioning things in their minds. Like, wait a minute, this is so, this is so different from everything that we've always been taught. And friends, I believe that Jesus was reading the crowd. I think he was, he was sharing this and people were just glued to his every word. Because listen to what he said. He said in, in chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 17, he said, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. You see, uh, the goal of a rabbi was to help people interpret and understand the Word of God. To destroy the law was a phrase used to describe incorrectly interpreting Scripture, which would lead to people not obeying God's intentions. Fulfilling the law was a phrase used when interpretation of Scripture would lead people to obeying the Word as God intended. 
Do you see the difference? They're thinking, man, this teaching is so radical. Are you trying to lead us off course away from the law? And he says, no, no, no. What I'm sharing with you, I didn't come to destroy it. I have come to fulfill it. In other words, what I'm sharing with you will help you follow the Word of God as God intended. Now, did Jesus fulfill the law? Absolutely, He did. He followed the law. He fulfilled the law and the prophecies about Himself, but He also introduced something totally different, and that was the heart of the Father to these folks. That was totally new to them. It was an eye-opener to them. It was always God. It was Jehovah. And He started using the word Father and you're like his children. And it's like, wait a minute, this is a foreign concept. God is, is distant. God is cold. God is, no, he's, he's here. He's present. And, and, and he wants you as part of his family. And so as Jesus is teaching his first sermon, he's repeatedly punching holes into everything that these folks had already learned from these other rabbis. Everything he was saying, it was like, huh? Wait, that's not the way I've always been taught. Whether it was teaching about the Sabbath, which was huge, whether it was talking about ceremonies or purity or, or finances or holiness or morality or, or forgiveness, you name it, and Jesus addressed it, but it was resonating within the hearts of the people. Isn't that cool when God speaks and it resonates with you? And your heart, it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm getting fed. Oh, I, I needed to hear this. And Wow, Lord, you are, God was getting bigger in these folks' eyes. And, and, and you see, friends, it was, it was life-changing. And it says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the last couple of verses of chapter 7 of Matthew, it says, and so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. You see, for centuries, folks, the Jews were under heavy legalism when it came to obeying the Word of God. And some churches are like that today, yet. very heavy in legalism, very heavy in, 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 in requirements. Teachers of the Scripture interpreted it with all kinds of ridiculous requirements. They would add to it, and, and, and they had these regulations and traditions that made their yokes nearly impossible to attain. This is why Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus said, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, these folks are used to following a yoke that was difficult to follow. And when something is difficult to follow, it affects you emotionally. It can be frustrating, can it? When, when you, you hear what I'm saying? This is the standard, and it's like, yeah, they're interpreting it for me, and they're helping me, but I'm just, it, it's like, it's never attainable. And, and so Jesus was introducing them to something so radical. He's talking about God's grace, about the mercy of God, about the Father's love for people. And these people are thinking, wow, this is, this is like so over-the-top amazing. You see, the religion says, try harder. Religion says, you're not good enough. Religion says, jump through another hoop. Jesus' yoke says, it's time to stop trying harder. It's, it's time to come to me with that heavy load and find freedom and rest. You see, that's why the Apostle Paul wrote 
In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, For freedom, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. He was writing to people who had received Christ by the Spirit of God, and yet they still had these tendencies to, well, I still got to follow some of the rules. I still got to, I still got to adhere to some of the old covenant, the, the, the law of Moses. And he was saying, no, don't go back to that yoke of slavery. So do we see the significance of being a rabbi with authority? Is this, is this kind of making sense to you all? This, is, this, is, this, was, this was what Jesus was walking in. But here's the crazy part. Remember, it was the best of the best of the best students in this, in this school, in this, in this, this Bet Talmud, the school of Scripture, that they would get interviewed to possibly become one of their disciples. And as I mentioned, the rabbi would pick the disciples in those schools after interrogating them, after questioning them, after getting a real good pulse of, of what's beating in their veins. And, and, and they would possibly want to hear those words, follow me. But Jesus didn't go to the Bet Talmud. He went to the side of a lake. That's where he went. We have, we have Simon and Andrew, James and John. They're working their jobs as far as they're concerned. Any possibility of, of, ever, of ever being picked by a rabbi to be his disciple was, had ended years ago. That wasn't even under radar screens. I mean, not an option. I mean, how many of you all know that you can't win the lottery without buying a ticket? Right? You're not ever going to get picked to the NFL unless you take some initiative. It just, it just isn't going to happen. And friends, when you're at work and you're going through your daily routine, you're not going to have a rabbi come up to you and say, follow me. I want to absolutely change your life and I believe that you have what it takes. Like, like really the most wise, influential, and honored person of your culture coming up to you at work and saying, you know what, I see amazing potential in you. I'm going to invest into your life because I see that you are made for greatness. I believe that you will become just like me. This is what these guys heard at work. A rabbi saying, I'm going to put my name on you. Follow me. No rabbi would ever do that unless the rabbi is Jesus. These guys weren't in school. They were doing their jobs and they jumped out of their boats at this opportunity. They, 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 there, was, there was no questioning. We read of this tax collector. Where was he? It says that he was near the lake. Tax collectors were the, they had the worst of the worst reputation. The furthest from religion the furthest from having faith in God. And what would they do? They would rip people off and they're by the lake. Who are they taxing? They're taxing the fishermen, right? And, and, and so this, this person who'd, who wouldn't have a, 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 even a possibility yet, Jesus says to this man, follow me. Matthew didn't hesitate at all and he walked away from his money machine. Tax collectors were wealthy. He just walked away from it. Think about it, friends. These fishermen and this tax collector, 
knew they had absolutely no ability to emulate Rabbi Jesus. In their minds, there was no way they could actually believe they were good enough to be considered a disciple of this rabbi. Hearing the words, follow me, had to totally mess with their thinking. It had to blow them away to think this rabbi named Jesus sees in me the potential to become like him. Mind-blowing. He thinks I am capable of being his disciples. How could this ever be possible? All throughout Scripture, friends, we see God qualifying people that most would say are disqualified. And friends, these were the world changers. Read through the book of Hebrews chapter 11. You're going to read of of the, the faith hall of fame as it's called. And it's filled with people who screwed up big time. It's filled with, with world changers who if they were in our culture today, they, would, they wouldn't even be able to greet at the door. It's like, no way. And the word of God used these people to change the world. The, those who feel the, the least qualified are, are, are likely the most qualified. And this Jesus, friends, is still extending the invitation to follow him today. You see, the original disciples, they followed Jesus with a longing for an advancement opportunity. At the time, they didn't realize that Jesus was the one who spoke the world into existence. They didn't realize that. But friends, today we do. They didn't realize this person who was saying, follow me, was, was, was the one who, who, who created everything, the beauty of creation. We do. They didn't realize it at the time that that Jesus was the Lamb of God to take away their sins. But we do understand this. They they didn't understand these things. They didn't didn't realize at the time that Jesus would breathe on them and, and they would have the Spirit of God actually living in them. Jesus never told them about that. But we understand that's what He does. Later, these, these men would be authorized and empowered to live a miraculous life just like Jesus modeled. You see, friends, the early disciples er- eagerly submitted every aspect of their life to Rabbi Jesus. Their, their trust in His leading was unwavering. He was everything. 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 And this was without the Holy Spirit living in them. It was sheer determination. I hope you understand that I'm kind of painting a picture here of they just knew a little sliver of this person. And we see a great big picture. And this same one who invited them is inviting all of us to trust him completely. And by his spirit, he would would enable us to follow him. It's not just sheer determination. The greatest teacher of all time said, I'm going to go back to heaven. 
I'm going to go back to my father, but I'm going to send you a teacher just like me. That's the Holy Spirit. So Jesus isn't walking among us, but the Holy Spirit. He said, you know what, I'm going to send a teacher. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to teach you. You need to listen to him. And you see, the, the role of the Holy Spirit is to draw us to Jesus, to conform us to his image, the image of our rabbi. That's his plan. Are you enamored by Jesus? Are you enamored by Jesus? We have the Spirit of God to enhance our trust, our love, and our submission to Jesus if we let him. Because the Spirit of God does conform us to the image of Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, please, this morning? Lord Jesus, we thank you for choosing us. We thank you for this open invitation to follow you, everything, without wavering, without delaying. And Lord, I pray if there's even one person in this building who has not followed you, Maybe they've heard about you just a little bit. These disciples had just a little bit. And Lord, I pray if there's even one person here this morning who has never said, Jesus, be my Lord, be my God, be my teacher. I want to be like you. That right in this moment, they would, they would acknowledge that, that you are Savior. That you came to this earth to, to make a way. Jesus, you said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not through church attendance or religion or anything like that. But it's through putting our faith in what you have done for us. You've forgiven us of our sins. We just need to receive it, to accept it, to embrace that, that truth, to take that gift of eternal life. Jesus, we thank you for rising from the dead, signifying that you are victorious over the powers of darkness, the powers that would entangle, the powers that would keep us stuck, that you want to set us free. So Lord, I pray, if, again, if there's even one person in this room that would say, Jesus, I need you. That right now they would just say that from their heart, the depths of their heart, Jesus, change me. Make me to be the person you have created me to be. A younger brother, a younger sister to our heavenly, with our Heavenly Father. Lord, I pray for the body of Christ. Lord, that as different members, as, as your sons and your daughters, that we would walk with wholehearted submission and be enamored by Jesus. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would stir up within each one of us a hunger, an appetite that is unwavering 
for a greater revelation of who you are and what you want to accomplish through our lives. We thank you for not looking at our past and saying you're, you're disqualified, you don't have what it takes. You look at each one of us and you say, I will make you into something you've never dreamed you could be, but you have to trust me. 100% surrender. Lord, may that be the cry of our hearts. And if it isn't, we ask that you would put that desire deep down into our beings for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.